We're continuing to walk on water, continuing to walk on uneven uh, footing. Today, we're talking about walking on water, keeping our eyes on Jesus. We've kind of been talking about that all along, keeping our eyes on Jesus. But let me read this passage in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36. Try to hear it with fresh ears. And even if it sounds a little bit jarring sometimes in the way Jesus says things, let it jar you, let it jar me, let, it, let us let it jar us today. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he, that is the Most High, is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. Well, when was the last time somebody asked you for your coat? When was the last time somebody slapped you in the face? When was the last time that you were asked to loan money to someone? When was the last time that you labeled somebody your enemy? Those words sound a little bit odd to us today, don't they? We probably get more verbal insults than we do slaps on the face. We are not often asked to give up our coat. We're not often asked to lend money when we don't expect to get it back, although that's probably the one that you might have experienced. And we, we just don't call people enemies, do we? <laughs> I'm reminded, actually, of a television show, the Sherlock television show, where Sherlock Holmes has an arch enemy, and he talks about his arch enemy, And Watson, his faithful companion, says, you know, people don't really have arch enemies. In real life, it doesn't really happen. It just doesn't happen. Well, the same is kind of true for us, isn't it? We don't usually label people as enemies. And we don't often get slaps on the face and that sort of thing. But maybe you've experienced a few insults that felt like they were slaps to the face. Or somebody was, was chastising you that felt a little harsh, maybe. Uh, people often were harsh with Jesus, of course. 
when Jesus would heal on the Sabbath, the Pharisees would come up to him and, and school him on how he should not be healing on the Sabbath. And we're, we're told that, uh, well, and we saw this many times. In the, in the first part of this passage, though, in Luke chapter 6, if you just follow up a little higher in that passage, you'll notice that that's what was going on before Jesus spoke some of these words. They were trying to convince him that he shouldn't be healing on the Sabbath, despite the fact that the Torah really did not say anything about healing on the Sabbath. They had made up that rule. They had added into the law of God so that they could be rude with Jesus. Well, not so they could be rude with Jesus, but that they figured that made it possible for them to be rude to Jesus and tell him not to heal on the Sabbath. Well, some of the stuff sounds odd to our ear, but it does have correlation in our culture today. And I think you'll see this. Uh, John Stackhouse in the magazine Faith Today recounts the story of him and a friend meeting for coffee. And the friend was kind of grumpy that day. He came to the table and he sat down and he said, "Ah, you can't even order a cup of coffee anymore. And then he, he recounted a story of someone who ordered coffee in a West Coast coffee shop and asked for his coffee black and was told that it was offensive to use the word black and that he should, get, he should ask for his coffee with no cream. Well, there's an element. It sounds a little bit like an urban legend in there. I don't know if that one is really true or not. But on this occasion, John Stackhouse says his friend was kind of put off about this kind of uh, proper terminology. Um, and Stackhouse goes on to say, what is all coming, what is all coming to? What should Christians say about all this? He says, here are a few things we can say. Things had to change. In fact, a lot of things had to change, and they had to change a lot. Racism was, has poisoned American society for centuries, he says. And we Canadians have our own checkered history regarding indigenous peoples, immigrants, and sexual minorities, He says, criminalizing homosexual acts was a terrible idea. Shaming struggling adolescents into frightened conformity reaped only a whirlwind of alienation and angry survivors. He says, when we Christians ran the the Canadian cultural show, we gave other people less liberty, mercy, and love than God does. That all needed to change. And he says, social change comes clumsily. Societies steer more like container ships than speedboats. Once a change begins, it's hard to get it to stop in just the right place. When injustices are righted, we should offer our support or at least cheer from the front row. Are we in the middle of a muddle, he says. Well, we certainly are, he says. We should celebrate civil rights for all people, that everyone is entitled to fair, respectful treatment, regardless of their wealth or power or status or sex or family or nationality. This is a Christian idea, after all, rooted in God's creating and loving each human being. 
Christians should be known for the same trait, loving each human being. And when injustices are righted, we should offer our support or at least cheer from the front row. We should adopt new wordings when helpful or even just when requested. Kids shouldn't be shamed by coarse references of their ethnicity or sexuality. It's good that Canadians are less free now to injure each other with nasty epithets. And if someone wants me to address them with pronouns I think don't fit, or even redefine how I order my coffee, what does it say about my values and my regard for them if I insist on my grammar? What does it mean to turn the other cheek to go the extra mile? Well, John Stackhouse says things that are sometimes tough to hear. He's a theologian, a respected writer. He sometimes says them in a bit of a jarring way, but let's not miss the fact that he is here quoting Jesus talking about turning the other cheek, going the extra mile. He talks about, uh, well, those ones we find in Luke chapter 6, verse 29, where we've just been reading. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles, we're told in Matthew chapter 5, verse 41. So what does it mean in our culture in this time to turn the other cheek, to go the extra mile? These are difficult things for us today. But here's some things we do know. This passage says the Most High is kind even to those who are unthankful and wicked. This passage says we must be compassionate just as our Father is compassionate. For those who have ears to hear, Jesus is saying, be kind. For several months during the height of the pandemic, we had this church sign out here that said a simple two words on it, which was beautiful. Be kind. I would often go by that sign before I was even helping out with this church or part of this congregation and seeing that and thinking, that's, that's good words. It's coming right from this passage here. We're to be kind. And I thought, I, I appreciate that this congregation knows that those are words from our God. So here's the big question, though. What's it mean to live out this life of faith in a very complicated world? We know it's complicated. How do I, how do you, how do we live in this world with all its complexities? Well, first of all, and this is not rocket science to anybody in the room, as we've been talking about, we keep our eyes on Jesus. There are many who would want to have us look at them. There are many who would have us listen to them. Jesus is the one we keep our eyes on. Jesus is the one we listen to. The politicians of our day, the pastors of our day, the media people of our day, the advertisers of our day want to to tickle our ears and want us to hear them. But we listen to Jesus. You listen to Jesus before you listen to any of us pastors. We listen to the words of Jesus. We keep our eyes fixed on him. And we follow his example. We keep our ears tuned to him in this complex world. And what does it look like? What does Jesus' example look like? Well, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, 
you'll find some familiar words. You may have even memorized these words. You might have memorized them in King James Version or something like that. I know I did as a young man. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. I'm going to read it in the New International Version today. It says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not regard equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking... Uh, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I encourage us all to go home and read that passage again and again, maybe pray it through, meditate upon it, Jesus came fully God and fully human. And it says he had this mindset, which was being in the very nature of God. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or something to be used for his own advantage. Let's, Let's read that passage some more on our own as well. All the translations are quite clear on this. Jesus did not demand his own rights. He didn't say, well, I'm God, and you disciples are humans. I'd like you to go fetch me some food. Uh, Go get me some grapes and then feed them to me. And uh, I like those green grapes better than the purple ones. And and maybe you could peel those grapes for me. No, no, that's not the way Jesus functioned. That was the way the gods of the Romans and Greeks were thought to behave, that they demanded much of their humans who would provide them with things and take care of them. But Jesus comes fully God and comes to uh, fully human and comes into our very presence and works with his disciples to show them a better way. So like Jesus, we don't demand our own rights. No, Jesus came to the disciples and did not demand his own rights. Uh, We do have rights, of course, in this world, and that's where it gets tricky. I suppose I have the right to use proper grammar and not use the pronouns that somebody else might be wanting me to use, but I can lay down those rights as well. I suppose I have the right to congregate uh, when the government tells me not to worship in a building, but we can choose to lay down those rights and we can choose to find new ways to worship together, and we have. I may believe somebody else's lifestyle is not God's best for them. I may fervently believe that, and I can can pray for them with tears in my eyes, but maybe I lay down my right to school them in their way, and maybe I encourage them to look to God for the way to live their lives. Psalm 139, another familiar passage to us, talks about, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. I want to pray that one about a hundred times. Search me, O God. Test me. Point out anything in me that offends you 
and lead me along the path of everlasting life. I want to pray that about a hundred times before I point out what I think some might offend God in somebody else. How do we live in this ultra-political, ultra-polarized culture? We follow Jesus' example. We, we lay down our rights to be who we want to be and we follow Jesus. What if that means that our church will struggle? Well, we, we lay down our rights. What if that means that we might lose our lives? Well, we lay down our rights. That's the way Christians have done it for centuries. Now, I recognize this is over-simplistic, right? But let's hear Jesus' words. Turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. Give your shirt as well as your coat. Lend without expectation of return. Lay down our equality with others. Can we embrace this attitude, which was also in Christ Jesus? Can we... Trust him and follow him. Let's pray together. Our, our uh, worship team will come up and join us on stage here and, and uh, we'll spend some more time on a worship song. But we're going to pray and ask Jesus to fill our minds with his words about turning the other cheek, about going the extra mile, about following his example. May we have this attitude in ourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he was God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but, but became a man and lived amongst us. Taking the form of a servant, he submitted himself to death, even death on a cross. And so, God, we pray that you would help us to understand how to live in this complex world. God, we are in the midst of a muddle here, as John Stackhouse says. And we want to be gracious, kind, compassionate with everyone. Help us to know when to lay down our rights and to, to love others ahead of ourselves. Father, as we go into a a time of reflection and communion, may we keep our eyes on Jesus the whole way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.